You're listening to a sermon audio from Cypress Church. You can listen to more sermons on our website or by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. We hope you enjoy the sermon and invite you to attend one of our services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. <laughs> Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you again. Uh, you know, Easter, you heard Mike tell you, is uh, two weeks from today. I hope you're getting ready. I know I am. I love that week. It's so good. You know, every, every Easter this time of year, and I'm looking forward to that Sunday, and I can't help but be reminded of that great message by S.M. Lockridge. It's Friday. You know it. But Sundays are coming. That is so good. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Because that is the blessed hope for us as Christians that no matter how bleak it may seem, no matter how upside down the world might look on Friday, Sunday's coming. Jesus, rising from the grave. Hallelujah. I hope you will join us for that great celebration. It's going to be good. And by the way, if you have not heard that message, go online and check it out. It's, it's well worth it. Really, really good. S.M. Lockridge. Same guy that preached another message. You've probably heard, that's my king. I wonder if you know him. <laughs> Shadrach Meshach Lockridge of the Calvary Baptist Church in San Diego. How's that for a name for a pastor, huh? We got to get you a name like that. What do you think? Something like uh, Michael Melchizedek McKay of the Glory Bible Church of Cyprus. Put, put that on the monument sign out there. What? That'll, that'll bring him in, right? Anyway, I'm Steve Ellis. Stephen's a good Bible name. And uh, I am not one of the pastors here. I am, as Mike said, a former elder. I am more elder now than I was when I was an elder. Funny how that works. I mean, you saw the picture of my first granddaughter, right? My daughter lives in Nebraska on a cattle ranch, married a cowboy. That's a whole other story. But Alexa Jean is our first granddaughter. We have three little grandsons. So this is our fourth, fourth grandchild. I mean, and it is just, those of you who are grandparents, you know, it's just the best. It is, it is everything they said it would be and more. It's just, it's awesome. But, you know, I've said this before. I, it, truthfully, it took me some time to adjust to the idea. You know, to the fact that I was actually in this season of life. Because, you know, of all the things that I aspired to as a young man, grandfather was not on that list. You know, when I was a young man, I wanted to be a you know, good father, uh, have a, uh, you know, be a good husband, have a vibrant career, serve the Lord. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're looking in the mirror going, who is that nice old man? You know how that works? Anyway, we are in uh, Matthew chapter 25, so if you've got your Bible with you, go ahead and uh, turn there, and uh, you can take out the outline that's in your bulletin. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible this morning, you'd like to borrow one so you can follow along. The ushers are coming down the aisle. Just raise your hand. Uh, they'll give you a loaner. And uh, after the service, just leave it on the chair. They'll pick it up. 
if, uh, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like one to own, just uh, check at the information desk out in the lobby after the service, and we will be happy to get a Bible into your hands that you can have. Uh, the only request that we make is that you actually read it. You know, don't pick it up, take it home, and sell it on eBay or something, okay? So uh, while you're turning to the passage, there's something I want to say to you. It's important, so hear me on this. It's even up there on the screen. You are talented. That's the point I want to start with this morning. In fact, it's the first point in your outline. Every single one of you, you are talented. As a matter of fact, I want to hear you say it this morning. On the count of three, everybody, I am talented. Can you do that with me? One, two, three. I am talented. Feels like a Tony Robbins seminar this morning, doesn't it? But it's the truth. How many of you watch American Idol? Come on, you can admit it. It's all right. We're all a little culturally bankrupt sometimes. I, I only watch because my wife watches the show. She records it on the DVR automatically, you know, so she can watch it whenever she wants, fast forward to the commercials, and, uh, you know, sometimes I, I get interested. It's, it's actually a pretty fun concept, you know. Uh, each season, they are on this new quest for the next American Idol, you know, the, the ultimate talent and the... Perf- the contestants, they perform each week and they get voted on or off, I guess. And uh, people really get into it. And it, you know, it sparks debate. You'll hear people talking about it. It's like, oh man, they kicked off Sasha this week. They, they should have got rid of Jimmy instead, you know, stuff like that. So anyway, I, I come home a couple of weeks ago and the show is on. And um, if, you, if you watch it, you know there are three judges on this panel. And uh, it's Keith Urban Jennifer Lopez and Harry Connick Jr. And they kind of critique the contestants after their performances. So anyway, I start watching and I notice that Harry Connick Jr. is wearing this black t-shirt with this big white block letters that says, you're talented. Did you see it? Yeah, and, and at some point during the show, Ryan Seacrest, who uh, is like the MC, he turns to Harry and he says, what's with the shirt? And, and Harry says something like, well, I just wanted to make sure that all the contestants knew. I think they're immensely talented. And even though I'm up here, you know, critiquing their performances, it's just because I'm trying to help them get better. But if it doesn't come across in what I say, I still want them to understand, I think they are really talented. I really do. I wanted to wear one of those shirts this morning. I went online, couldn't find it. I don't know where he got it. But I want you to hear that. You are talented. Every single one of us has gifts and abilities given to us by God. And the Lord wants us to take advantage of them. And we are going to see in the passage this morning that we are given opportunities by God to be productive according to the gifts and abilities we have. That he has given us. You know, we're in a sermon series called the uh, the Dust of the Rabbi, and uh, it's a Jewish idiom. 
uh, for you know the notion of staying close to the teacher, as Mike has explained. Uh, you know, in that culture, they they were to follow along and be so attentive to the rabbi that as he walked along on these dirt roads, and they walked on dirt. You know, there weren't concrete sidewalks in those days, and his sandals kicked up dust. You were so close to him. You were so in close that before the dust hit the ground, it would settle on on you in the dust of the rabbi. Of course, the rabbi is Jesus. God wants to draw us in close so that we listen to him. Matthew chapter 25 comes right after chapter 24. Always has. And in that 24th chapter, uh, the Lord Jesus was answering a question. And here it's still the same context. It's still what we call the Olivet Discourse. Jesus is sitting on the side of the Mount of Olives answering the question the disciples asked him. And that question was, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? See, when the disciples were first called, they thought they were joining a revolution. They were, but not the kind they thought. See, they they thought Jesus was coming to be the king right then and there. What they didn't understand initially is that there was going to be two advents, two separate comings of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is his first advent. He's there with them. All they know is there's no outward indication that he's about to take the throne. He's not, he's not doing any kingly things. But he has told them he's going away and he's coming back as the king of kings that he is. And that's what they want to know. When, when is that going to happen? And in chapter 24, he gives them some signs, some indicators by which they can recognize the season. But they don't know the specific day or the hour. In fact, he says that in verse 13, the preceding verse. Look at that. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. You don't know. And it's probably going to be longer than you think. Then Jesus continues with this illustration, verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Now, a talent as used in this parable, was a large increment of money. That's the image being used here. But broadly understood, it's really any kind of resource. The master is giving his servants opportunity. The talents being doled out in this parable are not gifts and abilities. The servants already have those. That's clear from the passage. The master is giving them opportunity to be productive according to the gifts and abilities that they already have. Notice, there are no zero-talent servants in the passage. You get that? Everybody is given opportunity. Every single one is talented. Every single one is provided resource and challenge and opportunity by the master to do something with. And every one of us 
in the same way is given opportunity to be productive before the Lord because we have God-given talents. And so the master leaves, goes about, the servants go about their business, verse 16. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. Likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. I titled the message in the outline, What You Gonna Do With What You Got? But it really should have been, What You Gonna Do With What You've Been Given? Because in this parable, the resources clearly belong to the master. The talents belong to the master. That's the second point of your outline. The master gives his servants a challenge. Here you go. Do something with it. And then he's off. The servants are stewards. You get that. The master in this story is clearly the Lord Jesus. He has gone away. We are told in John chapter 4 to prepare a place for us. But he's coming back. And in the meantime, he has entrusted us. And he gives us opportunity according to our abilities. The master here knows his servants. Do you notice that? And he apportions between them according to their gifts and abilities. He does not dump it all on one guy and say, here, you deal with it. No. Instead, it's, here's what you're responsible for. This is what I want you to take care of. This is what you are to manage. And in the same way, the Lord Jesus knows you and me and gives us opportunities and challenges us according to our abilities. But He never gives us more than He knows we can handle. It may seem like a lot sometimes, but it is always within the boundaries of what He knows we are capable of dealing with. The talents belong to the Master. You know, in this country, in this fiercely individualistic, independent culture in which we live, we have this concept of private property. We put our names on our bank accounts, on the title to our cars. We record deeds to our homes. We even give our children our last name as though we owned it all. We don't. It's just on loan to us for a season. We are stewards. We are stewards of our finances. You know, if we saw it rightly, we would go to the bank and set up an account. Stephen Ellis as trustee for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's the truth. Psalms 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all those who dwell within it. We are stewards of our finances. We are stewards of our relationships. We are stewards of our work. We are stewards of our time, if we see it rightly. And this idea of stewardship, I'm a lawyer, it's, it's a very legal concept. 
There's a whole body of law dealing with the requirements of stewardship and, and the principles for trustees and fiduciaries. And the overarching principle is that if you are acting in the capacity of a steward, it is your obligation to deal with what has been entrusted to you in a way that serves the interests of the one who owns it and not your own. Paul summed it up in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But on occasion, we need a little help. We sometimes need a little prodding with our stewardship. I have a confession to make. I experienced that very thing recently. You know, when I was growing up, I wouldn't describe my family as dirt poor, but it was close. Our first home uh, was a federal housing project in San Pedro called Harbor Hills. My father left the family when I was five years old, and he wasn't very regular with his child support, so my mother struggled to raise three boys. We didn't have much. We didn't buy new clothes. We shopped at thrift stores. My mother knew where all of those were. And remember those iron-on patches? Do they still have those? We used those things by the dozen. I mean, when, when something got a hole in it or wore out, we didn't buy a, a, a new thing. We, we patched it repeatedly until it was so threadbare, it, just, it wouldn't hold the patch any longer, you know? I remember in junior high being teased about my patched-up thrift store jeans because, you know, all the cool kids wore Levi's. I don't know what the style is today, skinny jeans or, you know, whatever. But, man, I'm telling you, I never really understood how important a little tag on the back of your pocket could be. But Long Beach had a great public education system, so after high school, I was able to go to junior college for almost nothing, and then on to Long Beach State and get a degree, and then to UCLA and get a law degree. Who would have thunk? You know, poor white trash kid from San Pedro takes the California bar exam. And I began to have a little success, and, and I became exposed to this world that I never even knew really existed. But I always tried to remember where I had come from, you know, and, and be generous and, and help people as people had, had helped me. But anyway, about six years ago, I'm coming off a couple of really good years in the practice, and I have a little uh, disposable income. So I, I get something I've always wanted. A car, a BMW, a BMW 650, convertible, Monaco blue. Oh, that was a nice car. You've all heard the tagline, you know, BMW, the ultimate driving machine. That's truth in advertising right there, I'm telling you. I'd touch that gas pedal and zoom, that car was gone put the top down on a summer day, put the top down on a winter day. You know, we have 80-degree temperatures in January in Southern California. Man, I'm telling you, I, I love that car. Oh, 
man. Driving that car was like taking a little mini vacation. You know, my wife would call me sometimes. Honey, how was your day? And I would say, well, I poured ink all over my shirt. The judge ruled against me. My clients are yelling at me. But it's all good. Because I'm in my car. Love that car. About that same time, I started preaching up here occasionally, you know, like once a year or so. And so fast forward to a couple of years ago, and I am uh, preaching from the book of Luke, chapter 14, a story about Jesus at a party at the home of one of the prominent Pharisees and all the pomp and circumstance that those guys were into. You know, and the idea that we are to be people of substance, not spectacle. You know, that we're not to get all caught up in this image culture that surrounds us, right? And at the end of the second service, when it was all over, I packed up my stuff. And I went out to the parking lot to get in my image car and drive home. And I'll never forget, as I am reaching for the door handle, the Lord spoke to me very clearly. Not out loud. I don't hear voices, okay? It was, it was a very strong impression. I heard it in here. God said, you need to get rid of this car. And I was like, what? What, what was that? And immediately I began to debate. No, come on, Lord, it's me. You know, I don't have a problem with things. You know, it's just, it's just a tool. You own it all. We're just stewards. I know, you know, I'm, I'm a generous giver. Besides, I'm a professional. I, I need a nice car. You know, I can't be driving up to my client's office in some beater mobile. I, I got to look the part, right? But God kept at me. Kept confirming it. I'd be sitting in church. Something hit me. Right between the eyes. I'm like, oh, Lord. You know, or I'm in my devotion. So something jumped right out of the page at me. You know, I got injured. Broke my leg again. And uh, Pastor Mike brought by some books for me to read. And so I did, because I didn't have much else to do. And one of them was called Hearing God's Voice. Oh, come on! No, God just was very patient, but very relentless. He's like that, you know. It's annoying. <laughs> and then, you know, I, I, I started making deals with God, you know. Well, if you really want me to get rid of the car, you know, I've, I've got to drive something else. So where is it, you know? You know, have something show up at work or something. I put out a fleece, which is not, by the way, how we are supposed to get guidance from God. You know, that story of Gideon in Joshua 6 and 7, that is not there to tell you and me how we discern God's voice. That story is there to illustrate God's grace. Dude was a chicken. I mean, God comes to him and calls him and he's like, me? I, you know, I'm the least in my father's house. Our, our family's the least in our tribe. And the Lord says to him, you go in my name and you will save Israel like one man. But he's like, what, what Lord? Would, really? 
Would you confirm it again, please? The Lord does. He's, he's so gracious. He was with me. You know, I even mentioned it to a couple of the elders. And I was looking for moral support, right? You know, like, I think God might be telling me to get rid of my car. I just, you know, I was looking for them to say, I wanted them to say, ah, nah, nah, you're fine. Don't worry about it. But it was more like, well, you know, I, I don't really see it. But, you know, if the Lord's telling you to do something, you got to do it. Which was not what I wanted to hear, by the way. Smitty. You know, I would ask the Lord in prayer during my devotions, you know, reporting for duty, Lord, what do you want me to do? You know what I heard. And I would say, well, other than that, what do you want me to do? Until it finally got to the point where I realized I was not going to progress in my relationship with my Lord until I did what he had told me to do. And so I was like, all right, fine, I'll sell it. I called my son, said, put it on Auto Trader or whatever, Craigslist, I don't know. List it. And then nothing happened for like two months. A couple calls, nobody's serious. So I'm thinking, ha, ha, I knew it. It was just a test, right, Lord? But the Lord said to me, you keep it listed. And so I did for months until one weekend I am taking my wife to uh, Toyota of Cerritos you know up here to pick up her car it was in the shop for some work and uh, so we're merging out of the 605 freeway and we're in my BMW you know and this is the fun part for me you know because I'm accelerating to catch up with traffic and I'm changing lanes you know boom, boom, you know and I'm right and I look over and my wife has got her feet up on the dashboard and she's looking at me with these eyes like what is wrong with you? And she said, you are driving like a maniac. And I said, what? I told her, have, have you ever watched NASCAR? Have you seen how close those guys get? You know, and they're going like 200 miles an hour. We're just going about 65, 70. And she said, oh, so you think you're a race car driver. Is that it? And she looked me right in the eyes and she said, you need to get rid of this car. I'm going to pray. I don't care how much you like this car. I'm going to pray this car sells. My wife, my partner of 37 years, has permission to speak into my life. And she does it well. <laughs> this was Saturday. Sunday afternoon, I get a call from my son. Hey, Dad, somebody uh, says he's interested in your car. He wants to know if he'll take X dollars. Which, by the way, was another fleece I'd put out. You know, I said, God, okay, well, I, you know, if I'm going to sell it, I've got to get at least this much. And there it was. He's, he's coming out from Florida. He wants to pick up the car tomorrow, and he's going to drive it back cross-country, see some family in Dallas. And I said, what? Tomorrow? He hasn't even seen the car. Guy was the chief law enforcement officer for the Federal Reserve Bank in Miami. I kid you not. So at 10 o'clock at night, I'm on the phone to some banker in Phoenix, giving him the details of my bank account. I mean, what bankers work at 10 o'clock at night on Sunday? 
But this guy, you know, he's part of the USAA. You've seen the commercials, you know, that giant federal credit union insurance company thing. And I guess if you are the chief law enforcement officer for the Federal Reserve Bank of Miami, you get people to work for you in the middle of the night on Sunday. The money was in my bank account before his plane touched down at Long Beach. So he comes over the house. He looks at the car for like two minutes. He puts the top down. He says, I love it. I'm like, yeah, so do I. <laughs> and he takes the keys, he pulls out of the driveway, and he's driving down the street, and I'm like, ha, 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 ha. I felt like I was back in high school watching my girlfriend drive off with another guy. Man. Timothy Keller. Timothy Keller says... You will know the power of an idol over your heart when it is gone. That's a true statement. I mourn that car. My wife will testify. I moped around the house for days. I miss my car. But you know when God really confirmed it? It was about two months later. I'm pulling into the Chevron station down on Valley View and Chapman. And uh, I pull in, and I'm, I'm getting gas. And uh, on the island right next to me, this guy pulls up in a little black Audi convertible, top down, nice car. And he, he gets out, and he starts putting the gas in his car, and he walks around to the passenger side, and he folds his arms across his chest. He's wearing his sunglasses. And he's just standing there looking around. And he's saying, nice car, huh? Bet you wish you had one. I mean, he didn't say that. But that's what he was saying. You know, guys, you know what I'm talking about. And there again, that strong impression. And I heard that voice. God said, that used to be you. Oh. You know why it hurt? Because it was true. I love that car. Man, I would drive that car down the boulevard, top down, music playing. <laughs> nice ride, huh? That was over... A little over a year ago. So now I am driving my wife's 2003 Sequoia with the oxidation all over the trim and the molding falling off the windows on the inside. But it's all good. That car gets me where I need to go. It does everything my BMW could do, except maybe 0 to 60 in 4.6 seconds. The top doesn't go down. Now, don't misunderstand me. Because I know some of you are out there thinking right now, oh, oh, so what? As Christians, what, we can't have nice things? No, that's not my point. The point is our heart as stewards. You see, God saw something in me 
that I didn't see. I didn't even know it was there. If you had come to me before this all went down and you had asked me, hey, Steve, you got a problem with things? I would have said, absolutely not. I'm just a steward. I know that. It all belongs to the Lord. You know, I'm striking a good balance. I'm a generous giver according to my standards. But God had something to teach me. Because he saw something that I didn't see. You know, God's like that. I don't know what he's telling you. You do. He's on you about something. He always is. Maybe it's to go back to your wife. Make it work. You don't want to. Seems too hard. Or maybe he's telling you you need to repair another relationship. Be the one to reach out and bridge the divide. Or maybe it's You know, you need to give up that drug of choice, whatever it is. Or maybe those websites. Or maybe he's telling you it's time to go on a short-term mission or teach a Sunday school class. Or maybe he's prompting you that you just need to give more sacrificially. Whatever it is, there should be but one response for a servant who is being prompted by his or her master. And that is, serious, sir. I told you that story not to pat myself on the back. I told you that story to apologize. As one who has stood on this platform, who served as an elder of this church, I did not do what God told me to do when God told me to do it. I wrestled with it for months. I'm not proud of that. And if I have offended anyone, I ask for your forgiveness. God is good. Leaders are supposed to know better. You know, I've said this before, you know, as Americans, I think sometimes we have troubles with this notion of stewardship because of the individualistic culture in which we live. As members of this democratic republic, we sometimes, I think, tend to think of the kingdom of God as though it were the democratic republic of God in which we all get a little vote. And we go along with what the king says when we like it. And it's not supposed to be that way at all. Because there is going to be an accounting. You do know that. Verse 19. After a long time. The Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received the five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more. His Lord said to him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Notice the master does not say to him, Five, 
Is that all? I mean, do you realize how long I've been gone? That the best you could do? No. No. The master is pleased. He's like, good job. Big high five. And likewise, the one who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more besides. His Lord says to him the exact same thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. I will make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of your Lord. It's not like two. Is that it? I mean, the other guy made five. What's, what's your problem? No, I mean, he, he, did, he didn't start. He didn't have the same level of opportunity as the other guy. But he took what the Lord had given him, and he did something with it. And the Lord says to both of these guys, Well done. Well done. You were faithful in little. I will make you ruler over many things. Do you realize what just happened? These guys went from servants to rulers. He just made them partners. And indeed, through the power of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us, through his life, death, and resurrection, he has opened the door for us to become sons of God. Do you hear that? John 1.12, For as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to those who believe on his name. We are adopted children of the Most High. That's what it says in Romans 8, verse 14, For as many of us as are led by the Spirit... These are sons of God. For we receive the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. What? Do you have any idea what that means? Do you have any of notion of what it means to be a child of the Most High God? A joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you realize what you have to look forward to? Are you kidding me? And we're out buying lotto tickets because we think that's the big jackpot? Sometimes I think if we really understood what God has texted us from heaven in this book, we would live radically different lives. Well done. Enter into the joy of your Lord. But, we're not finished, verse 24. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, scattering where you gathering where you've not scattered, and I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, here, you can, you can have what is yours. Interesting dialogue here. The master returns, and the third servant has done nothing with the opportunity. And his excuse is to judge the master. You see that? I know you. You're a hard man. 
Weird attitude for a slave. Judging the master. A lot of people do that today, you know. Judging God. God's not good. You know, if God, were, if, if, if God was a good God, we, we wouldn't have all these problems in the world. All this stuff wouldn't be happening in my life. As if they were the authority. The master doesn't buy any of it. He's like, oh yeah? Oh yeah? If you really thought I was a hard man, you would have at least put my money in the bank so it would earn interest. You did nothing. You weren't thinking of me at all. You didn't even think I was coming back. You worthless and lazy slave. Get him out of here. Verse 29, For to everyone who has more, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Cast that unprofitable servant into the outer darkness that will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You just understand in the big picture, Jesus just illustrated hell. It's always that illustration, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Because I think one of the things that makes hell hell is the awful and intense regret of what might have been. That's not going to be you and me, hopefully. Not those of us who have said, yes, sir, to the master. We're going to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Are you looking forward to that day? I know I am. I know I am. So keep at it. Keep being faithful. Keep seizing the opportunities that God lays in front of you. Keep listening to the voice of the Lord. Keep responding to His prompting in your life. And when He puts an opportunity in front of you, you go for it. Use the talents that God has given you. Use those gifts and abilities. We are all accountable for our stewardship. That's the last point in your outline. Every one of us. So let's keep on working. You know, this is a journey we're on. And, and I'm trying to figure it out just like you are. And sometimes it feels like it's three steps forward, two steps back. It's a process. But stay with it. Keep anticipating His coming. Because Sundays are coming. Amen? You pray with me. Father God, we just thank you for this word from your heavenly book, Lord. Challenge us this morning. Help us to recognize the gifts and abilities that you have given us and help us to seize the opportunities, the challenges that you have placed before us. May we be productive with the opportunities you have given us and not waste the time. Lord, you are so gracious and so patient with us. May we be faithful stewards, faithful listeners, and faithful followers of the Most High King. Because it is according to your power, in your name we pray. You alone, Lord, have the words of truth. And it is your name we ask. Amen.